0: According to the CDC, it's estimated that as of 2019, about 1.2 million people in the U.S. have HIV. In 2019, Black people accounted for 13% of the U.S. population. What's staggering is that they found that 40% of all people with HIV are Black. What's happening within the Black community that is preventing them from seeking out care How does marketing create false narratives around HIV? How does racism take part when caring for HIV-positive individuals in low-income countries like Haiti? These are just some of the questions that Dr. Cassandra Esperant is working to shed awareness on, and I feel so honored to be able to have her as one of my very first guests. Before we get started, here's a little bit about her. Dr. Esperant is a pharmacist that practices HIV prevention. She believes that educating the urban community will decrease the disparities in the HIV pandemic due to institutionalized racism. As a black woman, she is passionate about decreasing the divide in the black communities by empowering them to take initiative, to lessen the divide and take back control. She currently is practicing pharmacy at the AIDS Healthcare Pharmacy, managing PrEP and HIV patient adherence to treatment. Cassandra is a founding member of SPARC, a women's empowerment affinity group of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. She is also a member of the Haitian Pharmacists Organization and served as the election chairwoman for the most recent election. My name is Hathal Baman, and this is The Global Health Pursuit. I just want to tell everybody we had some technical difficulties before we started recording. This morning, I looked at my phone. I saw 111. And I don't know how spiritual you are, Cassie, but I saw 111. And today is February 22nd, so 222. And then I looked at my window and I saw a cardinal. And oh. I was like, my guides are here. <laughs> <laughs> They're here. They know that I'm starting this today. Everything kind of came full circle, and I'm starting this podcast almost rebirthing it. And I'm really just so happy to have you here. Cassie, you're my first interview.
1: I'm so honored. How exciting. Yes. I'm here to kick it off with you. We're going to have some great vibes and great conversation.
0: Yes. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because. Well, not only for the work that you do, but the energy that you exude through like email, even email conversations. I don't think we've had an email conversation without multiple exclamation marks and like caps. And <laughs> <laughs> I am totally here for it. Before I asked you to come onto the podcast, I asked for some resources. And these resources would be used for listeners if they want to learn more about what's going on in the world, specific to this topic that we're going to be talking about around HIV AIDS in the Black community. And you had mentioned this incredible documentary called Bending the Arc. I had not known about this before. And it's just a remarkable journey about bringing health equity to the poor in countries like Haiti. And I wanted to mention this because there was one part of the documentary that there was multiple parts of the documentary. I'm going to say that just kind of opened my eyes, but there was one line that was said in the documentary that totally reminded me of your spirit. And the line was, and I quote, the key is to have a pessimism of the intellect, but an optimism of the will. I'm going to say this again, because this line is it's so key in the work that we do. I'm going to say it again. The key is to have a pessimism of the intellect, but an optimism of the will. So I'm going to start off this interview just by asking you, what does that mean to you when it comes to work within social activism and the work that you do?
1: I really love that quote. Wow, that was so profound. And when it comes to activism and global health work, it's all about meeting people where they are. Yes. So you can have like a doctorate, you can have all of this knowledge, but unless that person that you're interacting with one-on-one gets it, it means nothing. Oh
0: my gosh, yes. Wow, that was deep.
1: I got chills.
0: You know, and I was watching the documentary and I was like, This is everything. I follow somebody named Simon Sinek.
1: Oh my God, he's like my absolute favorite. That book, Starting With Why, is part of my life mission. I live from that.
0: He's amazing. And I think sometimes people misconstrue his, I guess, optimism for almost toxic positivity because this line, is it hits that. What he says is it's not that I'm blindsiding myself from all of the things that are happening in the world. It's that I have an understanding and knowing that we can do things to make a better world. And that is why I'm an optimist. And it hits home for me. And especially in the field of work that you work in, this is key. Because if you don't have this, it's like every day is depressing.
1: Of course.
0: All right. So I'm going to start it off. Cassie, please share with our audience a little bit of what you do.
1: So my name is Cassandra Esperant. And my why is adding value to everyone that I come into contact with. So I think that's important to start from there because I feel like a lot of times we stand behind our profession and we make that our identity. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's who you are at the core right? Because you can change professions at any point, especially someone like me who has so many interests. Not only am I a clinical pharmacist for a non-for-profit HIV foundation, actually it's called the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, but I also wear many hats. I have a license in real estate, so I'm really interested in a lot of things. Some of my uh, passions that I picked up this year is I started playing tennis and uh, what else? tennis
0: then i love to brunch that's who i am <laughs> i played tennis since i was five years old oh, okay wow. and, and if you're watching the video here that my dog is just like <laughs> it's right really behind me and she i have a window right here so she's like guards. she wants she wants to be seen she does want to be seen and she's looking at me she's like mommy <laughs> but aside from that yes I absolutely love that you said that a lot of us hide behind the identity of a career. And I did that for so, so long. And it's interesting because I was an engineer, you know, I would call myself an engineer for somebody would say like, what do you do? Oh, I'm an engineer. And it's so hard to change that narrative sometimes because we're so programmed in our society to answer to that. And so ever since I quit J&J, it was like, oh God, what is my identity? What do I do? Oh my gosh. Right now? Oh, I don't know. I guess I'm a podcaster now. Like, what, What is that? You can be whoever you want to be. That's the best part about it. Yes. So you work in HIV AIDS as a pharmacist. What brought you into this specific area of pharmacy?
1: So I recall being like five years old and watching the Haitian community of Brooklyn Protest the false claim that Haitians cause HIV to the point where we weren't able to donate blood. Mm. So this actually went to trial in the CDC. And I've actually got to sit on some panels with some of these doctors that helped to dispel this myth. I just think that that's a perfect example of how our community came together for a cause besides our independence in 1804. So that's something I'm so proud of.
0: So can you talk a little bit about that myth
1: So there's something called the four H's. It includes Haitians, hemophiliacs, heroin users, and homosexuals. So these are known as the four cardinal groups that led to HIV. But the Haitian component was not based on anything scientific. As a matter of fact, just the other day, there was a Netflix documentary that actually tried to perpetrate that myth again. What? Yes, yes and the community rallied this, I believe it was like a few years ago. And the the community rallied together. This time we did one of those online petitions and the next day it was down. So I thought that was great, but unfortunately it's still, it's still happening sometimes.
0: Wow. So in your title, PrEP and HIV pharmacist, what is PrEP?
1: That's a great question. So PrEP is a medication that you take to prevent from contracting HIV. Okay, so there's about 1.2 million people who have an indication for PrEP. And guess what? Only 25% of that population is actually on it. So there needs to be education. And there's a lot of disparities like in the black and brown communities. So 66% of our white MSM, men who have sex with men are on PrEP, but only 9% of blacks and 13% Hispanics. So, as time progresses, that gap is getting wider.
0: I'm just taking some time because it's that's huge. I think when you're saying that there's many more white males who have sex with other white males, they're on this medication. But what is the what's the reasoning why our black and brown brothers and sisters aren't? Because this is, this is something that I'm trying to wrap my brain around is, okay, well, are they just not getting enough education in the healthcare system when they're going to see their doctors? Are their doctors not telling them about this? What's going on there?
1: Exactly. So there's a lack of education and they need to see people that look like them. There's something called social determinants of health, right? So there's less education because at the end of the day, you have to take care of other social issues before you even start to talk about taking a pill every day, right? So if I don't have a stable Halloween, I don't have a stable income, I'm having some family issues. Do you really think that I'm going to commit to taking, even as a healthcare professional, for me to take my vitamin every day? Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I just started taking vitamins again. <laughs> <laughs> I like, oh man.
1: It's a struggle. It's a struggle. But I mean, there's two options. There's one medication for pre-exposure prophylaxis. That means before you get exposed to HIV. And that's PrEP. That's PrEP. Okay. One is called Dyscovy. It's indicated for men and transgender women. Okay. So the only reason that one was the one that came on the market more recently, like 2019, that one, there's not sufficient studies in women, but the original PrEP. Agent came out in 2012 called Truvada, and it's for everybody. Hmm. So that one has like more incidents on the bones and the kidneys to the point where, per marketing, a lot of people think that dyscovia is better in terms of men and transgender women. But it's pretty much marketing because head to head, they're not inferior to the other.
0: Now, I want to I want to talk about marketing because you just mentioned that. Now, on marketing, when you see these commercials, you tend to always see men with men. Exactly. You had shared on your Instagram an article around Black women supporting other Black women within the HIV community. And this was one of the stigmas that I read about in that article where it was like, a lot of times Black women will only think that PrEP is just for Black men or HIV is just for Black men. Exactly. And they were saying that, just like you said, we need to see people who look like us in order to take something and trust that we're given the right medications. This article kind of opened my eyes around that. Do you have anything to say around that?
1: Yes, definitely. So when it comes to women, Black women are the most affected of HIV. And guess what? We're not having as much fun. We're having less sex, and we're more prone to use a condom. But what is the issue? Our community has more incidents. And we tend to not date outside of our race. Right. So let's go back and talk about the black community. There's about 469,000 black people eligible for PrEP and only 8% are on PrEP. Okay. So we account for 13% of the population, yet 42% of all HIV cases. And what's happening, Hedl, the gap just keeps getting wider.
0: There was a study that actually came out saying that in 2020, 44% fewer HIV tests were administered among Black people in non-healthcare settings than in 2019. And I was wondering, in your opinion, what happened here? Was it, I mean, I'm sure there was COVID-related situations there where people didn't want to go to the doctor. I know that I didn't go to the doctor. I don't think I went to the doctor during COVID, but that's a huge number, you know, 44%. What happened there?
1: Um, we're on COVID lockdowns. And I think that's like the last priority because um, I actually work at a sexually transmitted infection clinic and we have to shut down, you know, we have to shut down and um, people were trying to avoid crowds, right? And in this clinic, we see over 250 people walk through our doors. So if you think about it, we have a new priority.
0: Right. No, exactly what you said about the whole priority situation.
1: But guess what? There's a solution to that. So the, a lot of the health departments across the country were sending free at-home kits. So the the limitation of the at-home kits is that if it was like an acute infection, meaning like a recent infection, like less than 30 days, it may not pick up on it. But imagine that person that's never walked in, never got treatment or never got tested before, never went to a doctor's appointment. That would be a perfect opportunity for the person to do the test in the comfort of their own home it's positive, go through the emotions and then get linked into care. Right. So that's where the education is important to empower people, because some people might be scared to walk into like a mobile unit or a facility, especially when you probably had that exposure years ago or had a scare and you never did it, that would be a perfect opportunity.
0: Wow. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'd like to thank the sponsor of today's episode, aka me. I know this is very different from the usual ads you might hear on podcasts, but hey, a girl's gotta rep herself in this crazy world, because if I don't, who will? Look, it wasn't easy leaving a stable and secure corporate job at one of the biggest healthcare companies out there. I went through burnout, depression, and so much healing, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And with your help, I know I can get there. All I ask of you is to do one or more of these three things. A. Click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars one time or monthly if you feel so inclined. B. Write a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C. Share this episode with someone who would love this episode just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. So I want to pivot and talk about your work in Haiti. And one of the things that came out of the documentary that you recommended, Bending the Arc, highly recommend, please go watch it. I'll put a link in the description. But they talk about this word sustainability. And when I thought about sustainability last year or a couple of years ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, like why would we do it if it's not sustainable? And this documentary totally flipped my head upside down because when you think about disaster situations or situations where people are just sick and you need to go in and just help them. And there was this massive opposition in the documentary where they were like oh well these people don't even know how to read watches or they don't know what clocks are it's like uh excuse me like do you think that people tend to look away from disaster situations like the hiv epidemic in places like haiti because of their inability to provide like a sustainable route of action
1: um i think it's all linked with racism period (laughs) I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah. It's similar to why like a successful black woman who's upper middle class has a more challenging time in terms of pregnancy experience versus a poor white woman, right?
0: That's a whole nother conversation too. My God. Yeah.
1: So this is scientifically proven. It's not just my opinion, although I'm very biased, but I think it's all from that. And what I do like about Paul Farmer, which I'm God arrested with because he died about a month after I watched his documentary because I was looking forward to meeting him because I think he's an amazing person. And I I don't know if you remember the documentary, they showed you how they had the community workers, and you also call them companions, where they went and they assisted people and encouraged them and made sure they take They took their medications. And I, I think that's sustainable. I think that the affluent countries who are so stuck in individualistic mentality won't have as much of a success. And I think that's sustainable and it's been proven. So they did it with tuberculosis and they did it again with HIV. And now in the US, we have a concept called peer navigators, which let's say that I just get an HIV diagnosis and my navigator would be someone who's already been living with it to guide me through the process. Where do you think they got that from? From Paul Farmer in Haiti. And they were able to replicate that in all these other African countries. And I believe that they proved that there's sustainability to now they have PEPFAR that offers a, uh, a U.S. organization that offers HIV medications to all the countries that Need assistance. So, did you like the impact that he had with his friends from college that had these positions?
0: It was amazing. Oh my gosh.
1: It's changed the game forever.
0: I mean, do you think that that was the first idea of community health workers?
1: Maybe not, but maybe first documented.
0: Right. <laughs> I thought that concept was amazing and they use it in the US as well. Perfect. <laughs> so, within Haiti, What is your main focus working with Capricare? That's a Haitian led organization led by Jean-Pierre Louis. What are you focusing on mainly with the people within Haiti?
1: So the focus is to decrease stigma, Mm. to allow the people who have the diagnosis to have the confidence to live a life because at the end of the day, I always say it's easier to manage an HIV diagnosis than to manage diabetes or hypertension. So as you take your pill once a day and your viral load is controlled, you're okay. But when it comes to hypertension and diabetes, it's up and down and that's what's causing the issues. But again, that stigma is still there. So like educating people, educating their family members not to judge them so they're not hiding and not taking their meds. Right? So it's so important to have a sense of community. And one thing that's not happening as often as I would like is getting tested. So I'm part of an organization in South Florida called the Haitian American Pharmacist Association. And since I worked for the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which is a global NGO, we have a presence in Haiti. So I wanted to make the connection of, OK, we're going on this mission trip. How about, you know, this organization that I work with coming to get and test people? Guess what? I got a lot of pushback for that because they were concerned about the linkage component. But they didn't understand at first that this NGO would take care of everything, which makes sense. The pushback makes 100 percent sense. Right. Because if you're not ready to take care of these people if they become positive then you probably shouldn't take it on so what does that tell you that this is not happening as often as you would think but the great thing about it is that we were able to convince them because the NGO will come and take care of everything and the best part about it they're still on the ground after we leave so, unfortunately, a couple of young women became positive with kids, like very young girls. But at least they were able to be linked to care. They found a couple of people with like some STIs, it's just like syphilis. Right. And um, they had treatment and they were able to continue their treatment because there was a mobile testing unit very close to the area. So, that was great.
0: I absolutely love that. I don't know when this episode's going to come out, but today is February 22nd and we just passed February 7th which was Black HIV Awareness Day. And my birthday. birthday. Oh my gosh, happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) Where do you think the level of awareness is today? That's a
1: great question. I think that with social media, there's opportunity for people to know more and dispel all the myths, but there still needs to be more education. I think that there's people who still believe that the virus is contagious. (laughs) There's still people... There's people who don't understand the concept that undetectable equals untransmittable. So if I have a diagnosis, I take my medication and I take care of myself, I will never give it to anyone else. So this information could like change the trajectory of somebody's life. It's important. And then there's also something called post-exposure, which is like the plan B, like the morning after pill of HIV. As long as you take it within 72 hours of exposure, that will prevent HIV and there's programs to pay for it at no cost as long as you're within the income so there needs to be all this education and i think that's not just amongst the black community but every community
0: 100 percent. so what are we trying to do what do we need to improve that amount of awareness is it more social media is it more marketing is it just everything we need to
1: like change the perception. We need to make sure that people understand, like, let's say you start taking the medication for prevention that, yeah, you may have some side effects, but it'll go away, stick to it.
0: Like any other antibiotic, right? Yeah.
1: Education, education. And it's in a class of medication known as antiretrovirals, which is also used to treat HIV, but in this sense, it's preventing.
0: Amazing. Now I want to ask you a couple of questions that I asked my audience, my listeners, this is coming from a cousin of mine who is a new pharmacist. So I'm shouting you out. (laughs) (laughs) She wanted to know how can a pharmacist get involved in humanitarian acts domestically or even globally? Because I think that when you think of a pharmacist, you think of like the person that works at your local CVS or your local Walgreens, right? And it's like there is so much more that you can do. What would you say to her? Absolutely, that's
1: really a good question. So I uh, started off doing my whole like retail thing, and after five or six years, I just knew this wasn't it, and I started seeking other opportunities. And I got connected with the AIDS Healthcare Organization and it's been a great opportunity because I actually started off by opening a pharmacy for them. And then I found my way in the public health side of it because the pharmacy I opened, I was focused on prep. But now I left the pharmacy and I'm on a team called the strategic response team where I'm actually embedded in a sexually transmitted infection clinic. Right. And I'm actually prescribing under something called a collaborative practice agreement. And through this NGO, I'm also connected with the health department. So I always recommend to connect with your local health departments and see what opportunities that you can find, whether it's just to start volunteering, because they have biomedical advisory meetings. Mm. And if you connect there, the masterminds of all the organizations that's doing the work in the community, they tend to come together and they have these mastermind meetings and try to figure it out. So that would be my recommendation, connect with health departments. And um, I have the opportunity of um, having this affinity groups that's affiliated with my organization. So I'm part of Spark, which is a woman empowerment organization. Something cool that I'm going to do is in a few weeks, I'm going to go to like this brunch that this nonprofit for profit organization is hosting and it's called hashtag prep for her. So I'll get up into like a 15 minute conversation about the importance of prep and black women, and um, Spark allows these opportunities. And so like in a few weeks, I'm going to Texas. We're going to help women like find some clothes towards their interview and help prepare them. So these are these opportunities. So if this is led by my HR director. And I'm also a board member of that. And we also have this initiative that's global called Girls Act, where we empower girls by getting them a set of pads for the year because there's something called period poverty. Mm -hmm. So, again, I would say connect your local health department, try to get it connected with those meetings that they have. And that's a perfect opportunity to network with all the NGOs and all the global health work. And then it's just going to extend from there. Oh my
0: gosh. Yes. So I'm going to put all those links for Spark. And what was the second one? Girls Act?
1: Girls Act. Yeah. It's our global initiative to help. Like it's based in Haiti. A bunch. It's started in Africa.
0: Oh, wow. I absolutely love that. Okay. So I'm going to put that into the description so that people can go and check it out. And I just want to say thank you for being here, Cassie.
1: Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. and It's always fun to have a conversation with you. I feel like we're just on the phone vibing.
0: We're just vibing. (laughs) (laughs) The last question I I have for you is if people want to get in contact with you, ask you more questions around the work that you do, or maybe even get involved, where can they find you?
1: So you can find me on Instagram at the prep and H&B pharmacist. And you can also email me at pharmacist at gmail.com.
0: Yay! Okay, awesome. Thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and our guest today, head over to www.globalhealthpursuit.com forward slash show notes to get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health and if you love this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes that we're so passionate about. This episode was hosted and written by me, Hatil Baman, and was produced and edited by Anna Curran Howard. I'll see you in the next one.